We've spent the last few weeks uh, beginning a series in Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll continue there this morning. We'll move on from Ephesians next week. However, for today, turn your Bibles if you've got one there again, and we're looking at this, this big idea of doing life together as a unified body of Christ. Now, we spent the first week um, talking about this. I'm going to have an attempt at making this work. No, not, not, not so far. Paul, do you want to have a crack and see if you can get that working for me? Um, so first week we, we talked about, if we can move the screen please, guys, um, guarding the unity of the spirit. And we, we said it's getting ourselves sorted, staying conscious of who created the unity. It's God's and keeping focused on the big picture. The seven ones mentioned there early in Ephesians 4, which is the basis of Christian unity. Then we went on to talk about uh, why this is such a challenge, because we come to the church space with different values. Some of us are head people, very logical. That's how we experience God, through reading the Bible, and that's very, very important. Some of us are heart people. We want to feel God when we show up at church, and we, we base, oh, i got one up here. And we want to feel God's presence when we come together. And that's how we rate or value church. And then there's people of the hands who just want to see a church do far more in the community than what it currently does. So are we good or no? We're not good. We'll continue with the prompt. So moving on to the next one. Then last week we talked about apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, and we said all of these have different roles to play if we're climbing the mountain. You remember the analogy, I hope. The apostle points to the mountains. I'll make it quick, says, let's go to the mountains. The prophet says, that's our particular mountain that God has for us to climb this year. The evangelist calls everybody together and says, hey, hey team, they're the recruiter. We're going to a mountain. And the uh, teacher is the strategist. He says, this is how we're going to go about the mountain climb. And the pastor says, has everyone got their water and drink bottle, right? So we need all of those gifts working together in order to be all we can be in God. We move on from there to our reading this morning, picking it up at verse 14. And it's if, if we access all of these gifts that God has given the church, we would grow up and mature. And then, verse 14, we would no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We'll not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, we'll speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly, as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. With the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. And for the most part, Gentiles in the New Testament is synonymous with unbelievers, right? Live no longer as unbelievers. Verse 18, their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life that God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. But that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, 
Let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbours the truth for all parts of the same body. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Instead, stay up and fight. Your version say that? No. Don't let your sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. And so, Lord, we're asking today that your spirit would open this word to us, open our hearts to be changed by it. Lord, have your way. Speak and let us hear and let us obey. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse 26 of our reading, it said, Do not let sin, uh, sorry, do, do not sin by letting anger control you. Today, I wonder how you're going with anger under control. Maybe we need to ask a family member to get the real story, hey? How are you going with, with controlling your anger? Where's your anger meter at, at today? Let's have some fun with this. If the line is any more than four deep at a checkout, is that enough? Boom. You see anger from you? If the teacher gives me a grade that I think is unfair, I would crack it. Wonder if that's true of you. I would get angry when a door knock, I get angry rather when a door knocker interrupts my dinner at 6:30 p.m. You know the feeling you've just sat down for the meal and someone's there to say something. Would that cause anger? I would be very upset if my best friend forgot my birthday. How about that? If my football team loses a game, I can relate to this one. I need 30 minutes to calm down afterwards. I get very annoyed if a family member calls me whilst I'm at work. Anyone? I'm likely to lose it if someone cuts me off in traffic. Hmm. There are times when I feel angry enough to commit murder. Well, hello. If that last one rings a bell, I just apologise in advance. My schedule's very full this week, but the elders would love to see you. Only joking. Society has a very dark view of anger overall. We've kind of believed this lie, I think, that uh, it's a a terribly bad thing to be avoided at all costs. The Bible doesn't really land there. So what's the right perspective on anger? Biblically, anger is more of a neutral thing. It's neither good or bad. I'll just stop there and let you process that statement. Anger is neither good nor bad. It's neither helpful or unhelpful. It depends what you do with it. It depends what you're angry at. It depends what you're angry about. It's the how that we we process anger that determines whether or not it's good. In fact, I'm going to argue this morning, a lot more of you should feel a lot more fired up a whole lot more often. Because there's stuff in our society today that should have us angry. When we see children abused, it should stir us. We should feel angry about that. When we see the poor disrespected, it should make us see red. When we see sex trafficking happening, it should have us fired up to the max. This and a ton of many things like it should have us feeling angry. If we can hear all this stuff and remain indifferent, that's a problem. That's a problem. The Bible says, 
that in your anger do not sin, but it never says put it away and just ignore it. No, a little known biblical fact in Psalm 7 says God is angry every single day. Did you know that about God? Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, even today on a Sunday, God will get angry. Psalm 7 tells us so. So perhaps we need to rethink our view about this whole subject because anger in its purest form is not the problem we once thought it was. Now, please don't let me hear you giving you a pass on violence. Violence is never, ever okay. That's not what we're talking about here. We need to get that super clear. We're not for a moment condoning violence. That's anger gone wrong. That's very, very different, though, from the God-given emotion called anger. It's only problematic when we let it control us. But in its most basic form, anger is neutral. Let me put it to you like this. With a knife, you can do tremendous damage. Or with a knife, you can slice bread. Now, the knife isn't the problem, is it? It's the way we engage the use of that knife that determines whether or not it's a problem. In the same way, God wants us to learn to use our anger well. He doesn't want us to turn anger off and to pretend we don't have any. Because to do that, we'd have to cease being human, created in the image of God. Like every other God-given emotion, anger is a great servant and a terrible ruler. God wants us to learn the difference. Instead of letting it take over and manage us, he wants us to use our anger well. So what does using anger well mean? Well, anger provides us with the fuel to deal with issues. That's what anger is all about. It's a trigger. It's a burst of energy to to move us to action. And it's a God-given emotion in order to do that. When anger is used well, it can have great effect. It can fire us up to deal with stuff that otherwise we wouldn't have courage to face up to. You say, but John, I don't want to act out in anger and say things I don't mean and then have people upset. Well, that's not what we're talking about. We're only saying that anger by itself is not the enemy. More dangerous, perhaps, than getting fired up and saying a few words is sitting on anger and doing nothing with it. Sitting on anger is disastrous. If we move to the next screen, guys. Just maybe worse than than doing, you know, than, than having this little little fit for a, for 60 seconds. It's actually just sitting on it and taking anger underground. This is what the Bible warns us is, is disastrous. There it becomes bitterness. And more harm is done relationally through this. Our scripture today gives a reason why this is so dangerous to do zero with anger. Verse 27 says, doing nothing pretending it doesn't exist, letting it sit unaddressed in our spirit is a disastrous choice because that gives place to the devil, our Bible says. Not choosing to deal with anger, in actual fact, is making a choice. You're choosing to provide a landing strip for the enemy in your life. And that's horrendous to think about. If we harbour bitterness, and I think this is supposed to shock us, we are literally inviting the devil to come up and take residence in our life. 
it's equivalent to you dialing up Satan and saying, hey, I'm boiling the kettle, I'm making you a coffee. You ready to come and spend some time? I've, I've, I've got the seat ready, I've got the football on, come, come over. You know, would you like sugar in your coffee? I mean, it's that crazy to just let anger sit and not do anything. It's forever damaging, we might even say, always demonic. And it's supposed to spook the best of us in the room because this is a big deal to not do anything with anger. This is just thinking about things from a spiritual angle, the, the effects of not dealing with anger. Of course, there is emotional, relational, psychological levels to this as well. It wreaks havoc on every single level in our lives and every phase of our lives. This is going to be tough news for some of you, but here goes. I repeat it. Uh, bad news, bad news. Ready, ready yourself. Ignoring problems doesn't make them go away. Oh, I know, that, that side of the room struggled to cope with it. See if this one's any better. Ignoring problems doesn't make them go away. It's terrible news, isn't it? We hoped to heaven it would. But it doesn't. In fact, problems usually grow when we neglect them. When we just try sweeping them under the carpet, over time, under the carpet gets smelly. We need to understand the repercussions. It's downright dangerous to ignore hurt and anger. What are we supposed to do with it? If I tell Kyle what I think of him, he'll never talk to me again. So I'll just keep the peace, stay quiet and not upset the apple cart. Well, we need to understand the difference between being a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. Right? Jesus called us to be peacemakers. In the Beatitudes, he said, Blessed are the peacemakers. But you need to understand there's a vast difference between keeping peace and making peace. Right? So to make peace, sometimes you've got to have the difficult conversation in order to restore unity. But to be a peacekeeper, you act like Cinderella and you tiptoe around the issue so as to not offend anybody, but it's not true unity. We're just avoiding. And we blame it on God and we say, well, he wants me to be nice and show grace. Stop blaming it on God. It's not godly. Godly is angry every day, but he uses it well. So we're not to not ever bring up anything in the hope of not offending anybody. So where to from here? There's an issue on the table, and I'm frustrated. What do I do about it? What do we do with our anger? Our passage today recognises two options. Option A, verse 25, we can just tell lies. We can just not act in truth. We can use flattery to pretend things are okay. Are you upset? No. What made you think that? Everything's wonderful. We pass by the person. We give them a fake smile. And we say, so lovely to see you today. And never engage past that first conversation and hope to get away from them. Is that true unity? I don't think so. And furthermore, in those types of relationships, we get peace when we are face to face. And as we walk away, we tend to hear gunshots fire and we think, oh, I'm not sure that it was nice to see them today. 
it appears as though maybe they're not so friendly after all. Church, God understands relationships. He made us. The instructions here in Ephesians 4 are so practical and relevant for us. God knows how we tick. God knows how to work these issues out. So it's no surprise. In verse 26 this morning of our reading about controlling anger, follows on from verse 25 about being honest. And there is a connection. There is a connection. If we aren't honest, if we just use flattery to keep the peace, the stress levels will keep on building. It won't go away if we don't learn to deal with our upsets and process anger well. We'll end up at verse 31, which is where everything's really blown apart. So we choose falsehood, we choose fake, we choose phony. And verse 25 pleads us not to go there. Again, with justification, you're all parts of the same body. Don't lie to each other. You're only lying to yourself. If you pretend things are okay when clearly they're not, you're just being a phony or living a lie. Well, John, I'm out of ideas. If I can't go psycho and I can't take it underground, what are you saying? Well, the Bible lands in this place. Release anger under control. Release anger under control. Let me tell you a story of a friend of mine who's in the UK with his parents. And, and they were sitting at a table. There was four of them. So he and his uh, wife, sorry. Um, yeah, he and his wife and his mother and father. And, and they're, in, they're in the UK and they're, they're, they're over there supposedly having this wonderful holiday. And he begins to tell a story, although at this table, it was kind of a communal table, so there's people there they don't know. There's about 20 people at the table and with, with this couple and his parents. And he began to tell a story, this friend of mine, and his mother kept on interrupting. Now, the backstory to this story is he never felt his mother's ever listened to him in his entire life. This was just another example of that, right? So he begins his story and his mother cuts in and says, no, 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 that's not how it went. And she talks over the top of him. And he tries again and she cuts in again and says, no, 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 and corrects him again. This happened for a third time where he went to continue on his story. And says, no, 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 he got the details wrong. Guess what happened? Anger kicked in. And he said, would you shut up and let me finish my story? His mother left the table, ashamed, because he did that in front of 20 people. And they didn't talk for three days. So much for a nice holiday. Replay the scenario with me. What happened? Three times she interrupted. And bear in mind, he hasn't felt listened to his entire life. This is just another evidence of that. And he brought the story to me and said, I I don't know what I could have done better. Like, I'm just so frustrated. She never listens. Release anger under control. What about if the first time he used some body language? What about if the second time he said, hang on, Mum, can I just finish my story and then you can talk? Now, that's potentially offensive to his mum. But can I suggest it was less offensive than what ended up happening? What am I saying? Deal with anger 
when it's at two, three, four, five, don't wait till it's seven, eight, nine, ten. Are you with me? Because people say, oh, you don't want to see that person angry. What they really mean is 10 out of 10. I say we're all ugly once we get to 10 out of 10. Every single one of us are ugly at that point in time. Once we're throwing things across the room and calling names, we're out of control. We, we, we need to avoid that by not ignoring anger, but dealing with it back here when it's low-level frustration. Dealing with the issues when they present. Don't store it up. Don't store it up. Don't store it up because eventually the kettle boils and then people get burned. What's this scripture got to do with all of this? It helps us with the methodology. We release anger under control by speaking the truth in love. Anger is a God-given emotion that lets me know something I value is being trod on, disrespected. And it springs up. And it's supposed to be acknowledged. It's not supposed to be ignored. Now, it doesn't mean I have freedom to give every single person a piece of my mind. No. But it does mean I face up to the anger every single time. And I release it under control by letting truth come forward. Why? Because living out falsehood will not create true unity. This applies to our marriages, this applies to our schools, this applies to our workplaces, this applies to our sporting teams, this applies across the board. This is the wonderful thing about the Bible. It's relevant to every sphere of life. This isn't just a churchy thing, this is a life thing. We learn to deal with offence, we learn to deal with things that are bothering us by speaking the truth in love. This is God's solution so that our frustrations don't just build. But I let the aggression go on the problem, not the person. There is a difference, right? I let my frustration go on the problem and not the person. John, is that it? All of God's, all of the frustrations of my life, God's solution is speak the truth in love. My mother's never listened to me my entire life. I've been dominated and put down, and you just say, speak the truth in love. My boss at work constantly undervalues my contribution to the company, and I get so wild about it, and you just say, speak the truth in love. Is that it? At school, I get bullied and belittled in front of the class, and I just need to learn to speak the truth in love. Is that all you've got? The Bible offers us this insight but don't underestimate how difficult it is to do. It's an enormous achievement. Our context of our reading this morning shows what an enormous achievement it is. It's a huge achievement. Look at the descriptions before and after in Ephesians 4 and you'll see. You'll see it comes after what we are speaking of last week, the contribution of the, the, the pastor, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, them building into us. And we get to this maturity, this apex, if you like, and I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that, where this fits in our reading. We get to this high point where, where we're, we're so much like Christ. We've matured to a level where we can learn to do that. Speak the truth in love. Verse 13 and 14 points to what a hugely significant spiritual development it is. We get to grow to this point. We learn this critical life skill of speaking the truth in love. It's a place to be. Accomplish this 
and you've reached maturity. Accomplish this, and, and you'll see it as a remedy for, for everything that's building up relationally that you don't know how to deal with. Now, I thought you're going to say, someone's going to say, well, I thought we're just supposed to forgive. Well, there's a place for that too. We're going to talk about that in a couple of weeks' time. Today, though, we're talking about facing issues and not overlooking things that are actually bothering us. And we're talking about stop using God to justify our fear of conflict, right? There's a difference. This avoidance strategy is everywhere in the church of God, but we're so busy being nice that we don't get around to being united. So we neither break out and attack each other, nor we just avoid every single issue that's presenting. We learn this third way, something altogether different, speaking the truth in love. John O for five-word solution is the answer to so much relational carnage. Why aren't we there yet? Well, I'll tell you why it's such a challenge. If you can go to the next slide. It seems to me that we come out of the womb at one end of this spectrum or the other. We come out... God has given, naturally gifted us one of these things. So we, we seem to be naturally true speakers. Hello, that's me. Or we are very feeling-orientated people and we're very loving and gentle naturally. I'm not talking about what the Spirit's going to do in our lives. That, that's in a moment. This is just how we come out of the womb. There's people who are, are highly tilted towards this side. They're true speakers. And there's people highly tilted towards this side who are very loving. And the challenge is, why it's so hard is because very few of us sit in the middle here. We tend to be one or the other. And in fact, the, the, the higher your needle is over here, the more work you've got to do to get over here. What's this look like relationally? When Yvonne and I got married 10 years ago, I would say something, she would burst into tears. Oh, what's that about? I didn't mean to be mean, but I would say something straight, and Yvonne, being a very feeling, emotional person over here, we're at opposite ends of the spectrums. So here's the insight, here's the revelation for you this morning. If you identify being over here, and if you don't know where you are, just ask a family member, they'll tell you. (laughs) If you identify over here, your development in life is to learn to speak truth. You don't deny who God made you be. But your focus is, in conflict, in the red, is I need to say it in love, right? Because you've already got this. You don't have to worry about going and making sure you get to the issues. You'll get to the issues. (laughs) Your focus is to be love in that conflict situation. If you're over here, if you identify with this side... And you know you're a softie and you know you get walked on. You've got example after example of not being able to face up the conflict. What's your development? Over here. You need to focus on truth when it comes to conflict. You don't need to be kind. You already are, right? If you're heavily tilted over here, you'll naturally be kind and gentle in the way you bring things across. Your your focus needs to be, am I bringing forward what I think is the truth. Now, this is a lifelong development. You won't be there by tomorrow. And if you try and go from over there to being this roaring tiger overnight, you're going to freak everybody out that's in your life. 
You're not supposed to jump from one side to the other. I'm always supposed to be a true speaker. It's who God's made me be. I'm just supposed to do it in love. You're always supposed to be a loving, feeling, orientated person. If that's who God made you be, you just got to learn to do it with truth. Don't miss addressing issues. So our development isn't to work towards the other side. Our development is to to bring the needle up a bit straighter. Does that make sense? So that we, we are people who have learned this skill of speaking the truth in love. We go to the next slide. This is why this is so challenging, though. And I, I'll apologise for the blurry writing. It's the best I could get it. Here's the, here's the result of personality tests. Now, um, this is mine here. So on the left hand, now this was taken some years ago. The Lord's done some work on me and you you ought to be thankful for that. (laughs) Let me tell you. So so, see these walls? So this is my soft side, this is my hard side. And it tells you that, that my point of difference is 45, which means I'm significantly hard in my personality type. Then the person over here, I'll leave them nameless... And it isn't my wife on this occasion, but this person is 125 soft and only 81 hard in their personality tests. So what's the development going to be for them? Truth. What's the development going to be for me? Love. And that's why I've been working on the fruit of the Spirit, which is gentleness, for the last many, many years. (laughs) This stuff takes so long. Because we tend to only use it, and we tend to only learn it in conflict situations, have you noticed? You kind of can't rehearse until you're in the scenario again and you have opportunity to fly off the handle and you don't, you've grown. If you identify over here as that hard person, that person who speaks straight and who you know you've got a trail of people behind you who you've upset, then you need to learn. Love. You need to learn gentleness. If you're this person over here who identifies with this, you just like to be compliant, you don't like to upset the peace, you know. You know your development area and stop blaming it on God. Stop saying, well, I'm just trying to preserve unity. No, you're not. You're being a peacekeeper instead of a peacemaker. And there's a difference. We make peace. We make peace by having difficult conversations. We go back one slide, please, mate. When I arrived in Queensland, we're unpacking boxes, and uh, as you do when you move into a new house, and ended up with this pile of boxes. And so I, I look at where's the closest tip. That's what we used to call them in the olden days, a tip. But you know, not called tip anymore. So it took me ages online to find what the right terminology was. But eventually, I found it. Even recycling wasn't coming up. Waste management facility or something or other. <laughs> anyway, I eventually found it was a Dacobin and I rolled up with my Victoria number plate on, which is probably my first mistake. But they let me in and you know, I only had cardboard to dispose of. That was all I had. And I think to this day, the guy at the gate said, go down that path and you'll find the place where you can dump your cardboard. However... I went down the path that I'm 99.9% sure he said to go down and I didn't reach the place where I could uh, dump my cardboard. 
So then I kind of, I'm, I'm looping around backwards and forwards trying to work. I could see where I needed to go, but it had a sign saying, do not enter. And after a few laps backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards and not being able to work it out, I realised I've got to go down that little part there that says do not enter in order to get to the place where I need to be to dump my cardboard and get out of here. So I went down there and let me tell you, I have one very unhappy attendant on my back. He came over, his face was red, he was sweating wasn't even a warm Queensland day. He was sweating and he was red and he was ready to rumble, I can tell you. And he said, you are not supposed to come down this, you know, this road here. And I said, yes, I, I apologise for that. I got around the wrong place and I couldn't work out how to get back in here. And he was like a dog on a bone. He wasn't letting me get off that easily. He said, the other day we had an accident because someone did what you just did. You cannot come down that laneway into here. I said, I'm very sorry, sir. I'm aware of that now, but I went around the wrong way and I couldn't work out how to get back in here. And he sort of went off huffing and puffing, still very, very, very unhappy with me. Well, as I'm emptying my cardboard over, I look over at him and I I could see he looks happy as Larry. It's like nothing's ever happened. He's smiling at me and, you know, giving me the thumbs up. And I thought, wow going on with this guy? I mean, a moment ago, he was ready to pull a gun on me, and now he wants to be best friends. And then I'm driving out a couple of minutes later, and he gave me a big smile and a big wave. See you next time. And I went away thinking, I think that guy's got it. I think that guy's onto something. He, he let his aggression go on the issue... And then he moved on. And then he's like, have a great day, see you next time. So nothing had happened. I'm still in recovery mode thinking, man, I think, you know, is there anything in my back that I need to pull out before I leave you? Last slide. We can be assertive without being aggressive. And this is what we need to learn, friends. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We have no right We have no right to hurt one another. We have no right to backstab one another. We must guard unity. But let's not pretend we have it and just skirt around issues. Let's learn to speak the truth in love. Let's let's rehearse our words before we go to conflict and land in that place where we're honouring the person and yet we're talking about the real issues. As the music team come today... I want to pray for you because I realise words are a very, very powerful thing. And some of us have been hurt by words. Some of us have been hurt by things said in anger 10, 20, 30 years ago, but they live on. So I want to pray for you this morning. And I also want to pray for you that have lost your voice. You have been dominated. You have been bullied. You have been silenced. And think, you've got to the stage where you think, well, my opinion doesn't matter. My view doesn't count. Nobody cares what I think. Would you stand? And I'd love to pray for you this morning.
you just want to invite the Spirit to do a deep work in you this morning, and these things we've been speaking of, just hold out your hands before Him and say, come, show me how to live. Show me how to value people. Yet show me how to speak up. Show me how to live truth. God, we just break off words that have been said in anger over people in this place today. We just break them in Jesus' name. We say they have no hold anymore. We don't want to live with resentment. We don't want to let the words live on having power over us. So we give it over to you, God, the hurt. The memories. Say, Lord, have your way. Cleanse our lives from it. Help us be people of truth. God, I pray for the people who've lost their voice. Pray that you'd restore that. And they would learn to speak truth, Lord, and that they would learn who they are in you and know how you see them today and know that before you they are people worthy of great value Lord teach us to speak the truth in love 